Thank you, Pastor Harrison, worship team. As I've said earlier, this is uh, the beginning of Missions Month for us, and I, I get the privilege of walking us through that as a congregation. Uh, last week, which you might not know, uh, is uh, I and my family took the week off and headed out to a retreat center for Christian workers called Bethany House. And the great thing is, is that when you're there, you're usually having meals with other Christian workers that are focused somewhere in Asia. And I'm sitting there having dinner, and this lovely man walks in, and this guy's name is Sam Cornthwaite. And Sam Cornthwaite uh, works with Good Works Development, and he's going to tell you a little bit more about that. But as I'm hearing his story and thinking about our theme, I love to tell the story, I looked at him over dinner and I said, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? And he said, "Uh, probably going to church. And I said, well, would you come to ours? And so it's a privilege to welcome Sam with us. Please uh, try to spend some time getting to know him after church. I think... Uh, you'll really enjoy what he has to say. But more than that, I want us to see that God calls all sorts of people in all sorts of situations in all walks of life to carry out his calling. We are called to be faithful and obey and go where he leads us. We're all qualified to do that. So Sam, would you just tell us a little bit uh, about um, how you ended up in China and where in China you serve? Absolutely. So my name is Sam Cornthwaite. I'm originally from the United States, specifically beautiful Bozeman, Montana. And uh, I originally went to China with a, a youth organization learning about agriculture. So it actually had nothing to do with missions or the church. Um, I was simply there to learn about plants and food. Um, it was quite a unique trip. And uh, the goal was to explore what sustainable uh, food production looked like in China. Um, at that point in time, I am proud to announce that it didn't exist, but it is getting better. Um, and uh, so I first went to learn about agriculture and uh, started really coming back. And on the plane ride, I, I felt like I'd mi- been missing something. I checked my wallet, my passport, and, uh, and what I found is that what I was missing wasn't quite tangible, um, but that there was this new draw that had started. And uh, as I was kind of returning on the plane, I, I felt like that I was supposed to be back there um, and that I was supposed to, to return. And so uh, starting in 2009, I started making frequent trips, just exploring what does that look like. And, uh, and in 2012, our, our vision of our organization kind of came together. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Okay. So where, where do you live currently? I currently live in uh, Hebei Longfang, so just outside of Beijing in a small city of two million people. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I love that. Small cities by China standard. So tell us a little bit about what your work consists of and how are you connecting, especially how are you connecting to and serving the marginalized, what the Bible calls the least of these? Absolutely. So uh, currently GoodWorks has a number of programs, um, but the one I'm, I'm specifically focusing on in, in Longfang is uh, it's, we're building a vocational training center for orphans who've aged out of the adoption system and other adults with special needs within the area. And uh, we're utilizing coffee and tea, and so we have a, a nonprofit coffee and tea company in Longfang. And uh, our goal is to open up, uh, shortly after Chinese New Year, a vocational training center that will provide um, housing, um, but also um, provide training to help orphans who've aged out to adjust to life outside of the institution. And so currently we have four different individuals who've signed on to be apprentices that we'll be working with, um, all of which who have aged out of the adoption system and have some form of special need. 
And so our goal truly is to invest in them and to help prepare and equip them to live outside of the, of the institutions or orphanages. Excellent. And, and when you say aged out, that means after a certain point, they're no longer welcome in the orphanage? Absolutely, yeah. So in, in China, you age out of the adoption system at the age of 14. And uh, all of the individuals we are working with are, are individuals who have um, turned at least 14. But in fact, all of those that currently have signed up are 17 or 18. And so they're individuals no longer eligible for any services. Uh, sorry, they're no longer eligible for any services um, from the government. Okay. So you haven't taken what we would often consider the, the more normal missionary route by any stretch, yet here you are serving the Lord faithfully to just who we're supposed to serve. So how would you say you've used your callings, your passions, your abilities to follow God where he's led you into a small city of two million people and beyond? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the first time I went, um, I, I would be, say I started to feel that calling, that this is a place that I'm supposed to be. Um, and, and for me, I've always been, a, I would say, a connoisseur of coffee. Uh, I've always been a big fan of, of great coffee. And, uh, and so for me, uh, when, I, when it kind of all made sense was when I, I'd gone to Beijing, and about a week into my trip, I realized that I hadn't packed all my coffee. And so I was like, I need to go buy some coffee. Like, you know, there's got to be a place in Beijing. And what I found is that there wasn't. Um, there's very little good coffee in Beijing. And it, it made sense. It's like, how can I utilize this passion for coffee um, to do more? How do I utilize it to, to impact people and to invest in people? And so, you know, who knew that my dad, when he got me started drinking coffee at 7, um, that he was all kind of part of a, a big process. Mm. So how could we get involved, or how might you encourage us that are sitting here today? Absolutely. So um, I, I would say in all forms of missions and, and bivocational ministry, there's kind of three real avenues to do it. The first is to go. Um, come and visit us in Longfang and, uh, and explore and see what life is like for those who've aged out of the adoption system. The best way to know and to, to experience is to be there. And so feel free to come on up. Um, you can always send me an email. And uh, we'd love to have you up in, in Longfang. Um, the second, uh, if you're unable to go, is to send. Um, find individuals within your community who are interested in going out, um, either into, into mainland or really all across the globe. And as a community, really work to be senders. Um, I, I am, personally, I'm sent by, by a church in the U.S. that really is standing behind me, that is helping ensure that, that everything is there when we need it to be. Um, and the third is to give. Um, right now, uh, GoodWorks is a 501c3 um, pending status in the U.S., um, but we're, we're really always um, open to partnering with individuals on a financial level as well. Um, so, like I said, the three areas are really to, to give, to send, and to go. Amen. Well, Sam, let me pray for you. Uh, and do spend some time with him after the service. Uh, he'd love to chat with you and make connections with you. But Lord, we thank you for what you've called Sam and uh, the Good Works Development team to and how you're working. Um, Lord, there are so many orphans without home and without future. And so we just pray that you would expand the work there uh, in Hobei uh, and beyond and that you would strengthen uh, Sam for the journey that you've called him to and that which lays ahead. Very practically, we pray that his passport with a visa would come back soon uh, so that he could go back into China. Uh, Long-term, Lord, we just ask that all of the pieces would come together from the, 
the nonprofit status in China to the um, business licenses that are needed, all of the pieces, and the, the funds would be there to help not just uh, get uh, young men and women off the streets, but train them and disciple them to know and to follow you. So, Lord, we pray for great protection, great strength, and great provision in the days to come, and that your name would be made great in Hobe and beyond. We thank you for Sam and for his team, and we pray that you would carry on the good work and all the way to completion. In this we pray. Amen. Sam, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank uh, you. We love having you with us. And that's a pretty great way, I think, to kick off Missions Month at AIC because we are a church where you come from everywhere. Uh, on any given Sunday, we can have upwards of potentially 19 to 20 nationalities represented, uh, more than that in languages spoken. Uh, and then if you start parsing down the English language or the Chinese language or different dialects in, uh, uh, in the Philippines, then the language number gets bigger and bigger. Yet we are one family from all over the world worshiping one God that has called us to make disciples of all nations. And that as we do that, we are hastening his return. Do we know when Jesus will come back? No. He hasn't told us that. Uh, that is up to him. Uh, but we do know that we have a calling on our lives. Much like when you were a child, one of the most popular questions to ask kids is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? You can probably remember that. And what I'd like you to do now is I'd like you to watch a short video of asking this question and looking at how some kids answered it and expressed their answers visually as well. So just take a look. Children aged 4 to 8 draw pictures as they answer the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? They are sitting at a desk as their original drawings are shown in the background. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a I'm going to be a bundle being 
want to stop there. As you notice the shift, as the video moved on, suddenly they began thinking not just about being a bumblebee that's purple, but they began thinking about some very adult responsibilities. And when you're a child, you think about wanting to provide for others. I was amazed with that. I didn't, that. When I watched this video earlier in the week, that wasn't where I expected it to go. Yet here are these children saying, I want to help people. Uh, I want to care for others. I want to provide for my family. I want to live a good life. And if you looked back at 2015 and you looked back over your lives, I wonder where we would find ourselves. Would we say we're living a good life? Because Jesus Christ said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. You know, we talked about that just the other week. And if Jesus said that, and if we come to church uh, taking him at least at his word, and we believe him, that he says, I want you to have a good life, then somewhere in there is a way to do just that. Yet the interesting thing is we find ourselves in what I would say arguably the most ambitious city in the world. And what I believe by that is the people in Hong Kong are notably, sociologically speaking, some of the hardest workers in the world. Uh, nowhere else in the world do people work longer hours than Hong Kong. Did you know that? Uh, that's by studies from The Economist, from Forbes, and from at least one other magazine that I could find. You guys work too much. Not me, you. So, so we start there. So we know you're ambitious. You are hardworking. You seek to do your best. And that is a wonderful thing. But for a city of 7.3 million people roughly, uh, again, depending on who you talk to, many of our ambitions might be off-focused on thinking this is what it takes to live a good life. And the Bible speaks directly to that. In fact, what, what is ambition itself? Ambition is a desire and a determination to achieve success. Okay, that's not a bad thing. It's good to have ambition in life. Otherwise, we sit at home and, and just play those two hockey games we have for video games, right? And that doesn't lead to much. But when we think of it in terms of the biblical ambition we are called to have, Listen to what the Apostle Paul says at the end of his life. Romans is one of the last letters Paul wrote. And in the letter to the church in Rome, uh, and really for all the churches, he says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. What do I want to be when I grow up? I want to be one whose ambition is solely focused on making the name of Christ great. That's assuming I ever grow up. But every day of our lives should be about bringing glory to the name of God, our Father who is in heaven, through the name of his great Son, Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, where Christ was not known. Well, how do we get there? How do we consider life as uh, the trendy word that you might hear sometimes, missional? What it really means, and missions itself, missions means to be sent. If any of you have grown up around pop culture, there's a series that started, I think, in, let's say, 60s or 70s called Mission Impossible. It was a TV show. 
And every episode was given. And then Tom Cruise made now five movies, four movies, five movies. Uh, and every one of them has one line in it. Your mission Should you, should you choose to accept it? And for us as believers in Jesus Christ, our mission, should we choose to accept it, can be stated in a number of ways. It starts very simplistically by loving God and loving others. In that love for God and love for others, I'm going to make an assumption that we always have to start there. We always start with what's called worship. If we start anywhere else but bringing glory to God, we're becoming moralists or another word for it, we're thinking we can earn our salvation. The minute it becomes about our work and not his glory, we've taken the focus off of him and made it about us. And we're not worthy of that attention. And so we're called to bring it back to him. So in every area of life, it starts with the love of God that then draws us to love one another. Sam on his own, with all of his skills uh, in, in farming and agriculture, going to run a coffee shop in urban China wouldn't probably have been his first choice. But God saw fit to call him for such a time as this. I could tell you story after story of things like this. But it also begins to crystallize into, well, if it's about the love of God that flows into a love for one another, then we look toward the reality that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord would raise up workers. So we, the church, that Jesus is speaking to the plurality of believers here, and he's telling us, pray that God would raise up saints to go into all the world. Because at the end of Jesus' ministry, what does he say? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are called outward. We're called to think about life outside of our own little bubble. I absolutely love you as my church family. But if you're the only people I interact with, I have missed the call of God on my life. Yes, I am called to be your shepherd. I am called to proclaim the word of God to you. And I will continue to do that to the best of my ability until God says otherwise. But I am also called to love my neighbor. And I am also specifically called to love and care for specific people just across the border and around Asia. Because God's given us as a church family a heart to care for those working around the world. And so we care for them and we love them, and we equip them. But it always starts with, what is our ambition focused on? A very not Christian man had an awfully astute thing to say about this. David Foster Wallace, who if you know anything about him, was considered one of the greatest writers of the 20th and 21st century, or uh, 21st century, I should say, and 20th. But the real, these realist, most profound parts of me involved not drives or appetites, but simple attention. Now, sadly, David Foster Wallace took his own life in 2008, and so he missed the greatest attention he should be focused on. But what if we considered this statement in detail? What if all of our drive, all of our ambition, all of our appetites were focused on one thing, the call of God on our lives to bring him glory in our service to one another? in the world he's placed us in. What if our attention was focused securely 
on him? What would that do to a church of our size? What would that do to us as individuals? Well, it would lead us to respond with some very specific actions that we can see. First, I don't know what 2015 looked like for you, but it was a difficult year for my family and I. Uh, I've, I've explained that if you were at the Christmas banquet or you've listened to Melissa's talk, you know a little of what's going on with the loss of family members and various other things. But a lot went on that didn't go as planned. And I've publicly told you before that I like things to go as planned uh, because that's why I planned them, right? We plan for a reason. And when they don't, that can be difficult. But as Jesus sends people out, Look at what he sends them out with. Peace. He doesn't send us in the world saying, you can't handle this, you won't get through. In fact, he sends them out into the world saying, in this world, you will have many troubles, trust me. But fear not, I have overcome the world. So when we go out, when we knock on our neighbor's door, when we love someone near us that has lost their job or doesn't know where their next paycheck is going to come from or has lost their child or a loved one or is just anti-God in every way, we go with the peace of God in our hearts that transcends all understanding and guards our heart. Sometimes we Christians want to shelter ourselves from the dangers of the pagan, the secular, the outside world. And there's some truth. We don't invite all of those practices into our lives. But we invite broken people into our lives. We seek out broken people knowing that God, through his son Jesus, has given us peace. Why shouldn't we want to give that peace away even to our enemies? Because maybe, just maybe, our enemies wouldn't be our enemies if they knew the love of peace that comes through God. Maybe our enemies wouldn't be our enemies if they saw someone care for them the way Christ cared for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. What we just remembered here. So as Jesus sends us out, as Jesus says, there is a specific calling on your life and it starts with the love of God, filters into the love of all people, of your neighbors, and then goes out that you might make my name known among all the nations. When I send you, I send you in peace. Well, what does peace look like for the believer? Peace says we know that it is my God who will supply all our needs according to his bank account, according to his riches and glory. What that means is everything the Lord has, he will make available to you when you need it. This is not the prosperity gospel. This does not mean that you can pray for a mansion on the peak tomorrow when God will give it. That is not what he says there. But what he has called you to, he will provide for you. He will equip you. He will care for you. And he will never leave you alone. We'll see that in the verse we're about to look at. He doesn't call you and ship you out and say, good luck, let me know when the job is done. Some of you have had employers like that. They don't give you any instructions. They just say, here's the job, figure it out, go. And you're like, what's the target? We have a target. And all we're supposed to do is bring people toward him, the target. Isn't that great? 
And in the process, he says, don't worry. I will give you all you need according to my riches and my glory. I have got you covered. That should just warm our hearts. But yet, we tend to take back that peace and say, but God, you don't understand. Maybe some of you have said those words. Maybe not quite like that, but what am I going to do, Lord? This doesn't make sense. I promise you, even in dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ, we won't always treat each other the way we should. I promise you there will be times when how the world treats us and how we treat one another isn't the best, most logical, or most caring way to do it. And it's in those moments when we need to rest in the peace of God that transcends all understanding, knowing that he will get us through, that he will provide and care for us, that he will guard our hearts, he will guard our reputations, and he will go with us. Not only that, but as we look then to the Great Commission, we're told that we go with authority. It's a fancy way of saying that we have the power of God with us. We have the very authority of the God-man to go into all the world in his name and in his strength. Look at what it says. Look at the verse. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, if it's been given to me, then you go out with that authority and make disciples of all nations. And as you do that, There's a few things you do. You make disciples and you baptize them and you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. As we go in his authority, we can go into situations that can seem difficult. We can go into situations that can seem hopeless. We can go into situations where we don't know what the end is, but we know that's where God is leading. And by his authority, we can stand confidently when opposition comes. We are living in what's becoming an increasingly post-Christian civilization. Christ is being pushed further and further out of every sector and circle. And I rejoice in that in one sense. I'm not looking forward to persecution, but it's already happening. But I also believe that as persecution comes, those that have truly believed on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be strengthened. And our call will be compellingly to move forward, giving people hope. And we can learn from those that have gone before us and sought to make disciples when opposition grows greatly. And I want to tell you a story as we finish today. I want to tell you about a man that some of you may have heard of, but probably not. His name is Richard Wormbrand. Uh, And if you're part of Right Now Media and you have families, go to the kids section and go to their, at the bottom of the kids section is a series of videos called Torchlighters. And those tell stories of missionaries and Christian people throughout history. And one of them told the story of Richard Wormbrand. Uh, And so my family and I watched that while we were at Bethany and we were struck. And I want to tell you this because as we go in the authority of Christ and we know that he is with us through all things, we can see that others have faced far more dire circumstances and stayed faithful and been used mightily by God. Richard Wormbrand was born the youngest of four boys to a Jewish family in 1909. As he grew up, he was very gifted intellectually. He became a stockbroker, also involved in what they said back then was leftist politics, uh, and and married a woman, uh, also a Jewish young lady named Sabina. But after their marriage in 1938, they were converted to Christianity and became followers of Jesus Christ. 
chiefly because of the influence of, get this, a German carpenter. They joined the Anglican mission to the Jews in Bucharest. Richard was ordained, and uh, after World War II, he became a Lutheran minister. Before that, he was working both with the Anglican church and the Lutherans. But during World War II, Richard and Sabina saw an opportunity for evangelism among the occupying German forces. They preached in the bomb shelters and rescued Jewish children out of the ghettos. They were repeatedly arrested and beaten and at least once nearly executed. Sabina's family was killed in Nazi concentration camps. That right there, if I stopped the story right there, I would feel like that's enough. They have done their part. The rest of their lives, they should just sit back and relax, right? They've done great. But no, their story continues. In 1945, only seven years after they've even become Christians. Look at how quickly, because often we in the church say, well, I'm not ready yet. I'm not strong enough in my faith. Look at these guys and just keep listening. In 1945, Romanian uh, communists seized power and a million invited Russian troops poured into the country. Pastor Wormbrand ministered to his oppressed countrymen and engaged in bold evangelism to the Russian soldiers. So he went to love his enemies. That's who he went toward. Amazingly, that same year, they attended the Congress of the Cults, organized by the Roman, Romanian communist government. Many religious leaders came forward to praise communism and to swear loyalty to the new regime. They were pressured to do so, and so they did. Sabine looked at her husband and said, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Jesus Christ. Richard Ward warned, if I do this, you'll lose your husband. 4,000 religious leaders, almost all of whom are giving in to the pressure of communist opposition, saying, swear allegiance first to communism, and we'll let you be your Christian, which we found out later was to be a lie. And he's faced with this dilemma. He's influential, and he looks at his wife, and he says, if I do, you'll lose me. Listen to his wife's response. She's very much a part of this story. I don't want, wish to have a coward as a husband, she replied. Thus Richard declared to 4,000 delegates whose speeches were broadcast to the entire nation that their duty is to glorify God and Christ alone. Between 1945 and 1947, Richard distributed one million gospels to R Russian troops often disguising them as books of communist propaganda. He also smuggled gospels into Russia. On February 29th, 1948, the secret police arrested Richard while on his way to church and took him to their headquarters. So that no one could track him, his name was taken away from him, and he was simply known as prisoner number one. In 1950, his wife, Sabrina, Sabina, was also imprisoned. She was forced to serve as a laborer on the Danube Canal Project, leaving their nine-year-old son, Mihai, alone and homeless. Following her release in 1953, the Romanian authorities told her Richard was dead. However, God continued to work. A Christian doctor masquerading as a Communist Party member discovered Richard alive in prison. In a general amnesty, Richard was released in 1956 after serving eight and a half years in prison. He was warned, strangely enough, often, an awful lot like what Peter and 
Paul and Silas were often warned of was to never preach again. While in prison, he went through horrific tortures at the hands of the brutal secret police. Despite the treatments and the warnings he received from his persecutors, Richard immediately resumed his work with the underground churches after his release. So, in 1959, he was re-arrested through the conspiracy of an associate, and he was sentenced to 25 years. However, he was released shortly thereafter in 1964. In December of 1965, uh, they paid uh, a group of missionaries and churches from all over the world paid 10,000 U.S. dollars to the communist government to allow the Wormbrand family to leave Romania. Reluctant to leave his homeland, Richard was convinced by underground church members to leave and become a voice for the world, to the world of the underground church. Richard, Sabina, and their son Mihai left Romania for Norway and traveled on to England. It is in England, and as their story continued, that a famous ministry that still continues today was founded called the Voice of the Martyrs. You may have heard of them. They are the ones that seek openly and often to tell the stories of people that are being persecuted all over the world. If for once Richard and Sabine's attitude had gone to themselves and gone to our poor son, Mihai, who, strangely enough, while mom and dad were in prison, he grew in Christ and continued preaching even as a young boy. They were faithful to the Lord, and the Lord led them exactly where they were called to go. Yet in the comforts of our lives, we can say, God, you can't handle this. This is too much for you. And that's why we have to look at the next part of the verse of the Great Commission. Because when God calls us to his glory, when God invites us into his mission, and this is where we finish, what does he say? Surely I am with you always to the ends of the age. When we accept the mission of God in our lives, the mission to love him, to love others, and to go into the, all the world making him known, we go with peace, knowing that we're right where we're supposed to be. Politics, geopolitical situations around the world, things within churches, you know, many, uh, many famous missionaries were told by their missions agency, you're not qualified. And we have... Hudson Taylor to thank for continuing on, even though the Presbyterians said no to him. Uh, I don't mean anything against the Presbyterians. They're wonderful. But God had other plans for Hudson Taylor. Corey Ten Boom was on her own when she sought to, to seek out. It wasn't until later on uh, that they got help. Uh, you think of Jackie Pullinger right here in Hong Kong. A single woman that was young couldn't go serve effectively in Hong Kong. But I ask a question, where is the Kowloon walled city today? It was stripped down. The power that was in that darkness was set free. And a young woman like Jackie Pullinger was used by God to help make that happen. Because all of these missionaries and many, many others lived the truth. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Whatever your station in life, would you go? Maybe it's next door. Maybe as we continue on in Missions Month and we profile many others like Sam, you might be convinced that it's time for you to do something different. We will help. And if we're not, then we are missing the point as a church family. Sam said it eloquently, and I finished with this. We, the church, are called to pray 
give, and go wherever God would lead. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that when you called us to your mission, when you called us to your people all over the world and invited us to share your great love with them, you didn't do it calling us to be alone. But you've called us with your power, with your peace, and with your authority behind us. So Lord, may we be found faithful. May we tell your story whenever you give us the opportunity. In your name I pray, amen.